Hi, I'm Gary and this is EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at some of the darker aspects of electric vehicle charging. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that later in the season, we'll be talking with a couple of people about doing EV conversions. We'll get someone on who does this for a living, and we'll also be chatting to someone who took it upon themselves to do their own conversion at home. A great little episode in store there for you. Today's episode is about something which I really don't want to talk about. It's something that shouldn't be an issue or even a topic of conversation in polite society. Up until now, it's something which has rarely, if ever, raised its head above the parapet, but it will. As someone who would be termed an early adopter when it comes to electric vehicles, I can see the signs. We used to be a group of people who were fairly isolated and unique. If we met someone else at a charger, the feeling was one of camaraderie. We chatted with each other, sympathised about the state of the ecotricity network and the lack of AC charging on Instavolt, which discriminated against early Renault Zoe owners. We helped each other if there was an issue with starting or stopping a charge. And we populated the forums with information newer drivers needed to know about charging deals, new units and similar items. Over time, the number of EV drivers has increased. Electric vehicles now account for about one in six of all new cars being delivered. That's a huge increase on the figure of even two years ago. The logical outcome of this is that there are more people on the road driving EVs. Also, there are more people on the road wanting to charge EVs in public. The charge point operators have been putting new infrastructure up at a remarkable speed. We're now well over 3,600 locations with rapid or ultra-rapid charging units across the UK and many more across Europe. Companies like Fastnet, MFG and EGG have stepped up behind the incumbents and started installing multi-unit high-powered hubs across the country. But the race between more vehicles and more infrastructure is currently being won by the vehicles. Three years ago, I could turn up at a charger and know that there was a very good chance I would be there by myself for a lot of the time. That's why seeing another EV driver at a charger was a chance to chat and catch up. Nowadays, the chances of me being the only one at a charger are fairly remote. Even if I'm at a single unit and it's not being used when I arrive, there will probably be someone turning up in their electric car sooner or later to wait for me to finish. I was at the Ionity Chargers at Cobb Services recently, and they were all full with a couple of cars waiting. Likewise, the grid serve units across the car park. That wasn't a problem because I didn't need to charge. I just wanted to use the Ionity units for the first time in my ID3. I also had a backup location in case there was an issue. You do have a plan B charger, right? There are more and more reports of units being full when people need to charge and queues forming, especially at popular charges at peak times. And that's leading to the issue I want to discuss today. I've talked before on this show about how I used to work in the internal audit department of a large American multinational company. One of the things that they teach you when you do that job is the following startling fact. In any given population, 4% will exhibit sociopathic tendencies. Now that doesn't mean that one in 25 of us is a serial killer or will scam you and empty your bank account at any opportunity. It does mean that one in 25 will consider the norms of behavior to be malleable. This can vary from, I don't see why I should have to queue behind everyone else, I just go to the front, to, oh, 
Somebody left their phone on the desk. I'll have that. To this piece of road is mine and you're not allowed anywhere near it. If you do infringe on this space, I'll get very angry. You might recognize that last example. That's road rage. And yes, before anybody writes in, I'm not saying that everyone who has road rage is a sociopath. I'm saying that a large proportion of road rage incidents will involve someone in the 4%. Which brings us to today's topic, charger rage. With the growing number of people who are driving electric vehicles and the gap between the required infrastructure and the existing infrastructure, adding in a 4% sociopathic tendency to this population will inevitably result in charger rage incidents. And I'm not talking about those news reports we've heard about people cutting through charger cables and removing them to sell copper that's inside. That's, that's just basic criminality. Nor am I talking about incidents we've heard about in the US where groups of people have blocked Tesla supercharger stores with their vans to stop them charging. That's just ignorance. I'm talking about the kinds of people who either engage in the following sorts of behaviours or, more importantly, react poorly when others engage in those behaviours. Let's start with one bugbear of mine. Blocking a rapid charger by plugging in and leaving the vehicle there overnight, even if it's fully charged. There have been incidents of this on several occasions already. Famously, the Milton Keynes Council were notorious for leaving their council vans on the BP Pulse chargers at the Milton Keynes Coachway. I have photos of one that was left plugged in for well over a week at Christmas a few years back. Yes, they were charged the £10 per hour overstay fee, although BP Pulse admitted that they capped that at two hours. So there's that. I'm pretty sure if I spoke to one of the drivers who did this, they'd have a perfectly legitimate excuse. It was Christmas and I was off work. Or, I thought someone else would move it. Or, there's eight units there, me using one of them still leaves seven others to use. That sort of thing. But it all comes down to the basic principle that they felt fine blocking a public charger for an extended period of time, even though the vehicle itself had stopped charging. Now, don't get me wrong. There are van drivers in that group who stay with the unit and move it once it's full. But listeners to this podcast will know that they're an exception, not the rule. Without naming names, there is also anecdotal evidence of delivery van drivers from a certain company doing the same on rapids all around the country. Again, I understand that these vans need to charge and their drivers often have nowhere to charge at home, so they have to use public charging. But leaving them on a rapid overnight is not on. Which brings me to my second bugbear and another one that's going to cause an issue. Charging to 100% on a rapid charger. Taxi drivers in London are often guilty of this. They plug into a rapid charger and sit there while it gets to 80%. Then, instead of either moving off the unit or swapping to an AC charge, they sit there for another 30 minutes or longer while the battery charges up to completely full. This results in charges being hogged for longer than needed. Am I saying taxi drivers are sociopaths? No. Well, not all of them. Sure, they need as much range as possible to let them travel as far as they can. But we know from discussions on previous episodes that it's often quicker to unplug at 80%, run your battery down, and plug in again later on when the state of charge has dropped. This keeps them on the road longer overall during the day than charging to 100% every time. But it's not just taxi drivers. There's anecdotal evidence of any number of people, often new converts to electric driving, but not always, who think that they need to charge to 100% every time on a rapid. Again, don't misunderstand me. There are circumstances when a 100% charge is needed. If you're driving around in one of the early E-ups or a 24 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf, 
you're going to need as much range as you can to reach your next charge. But if you're sitting there in a 90 kilowatt hour e-tron on Mercedes EQA, there's no reason to charge to 100%. And you know who you are, right? We did a whole episode on this earlier in the season, 147, the 80% episode, if you want to check that out. There are many other instances of charger etiquette that I could mention when it comes to triggering behaviours, blocking multiple charge bays, for example. But let's move on to the, the, the final one, the big one, queuing. It's traditionally been said that a queue is a line of people with an Englishman at the front. Are we British are famous for queuing. There's an etiquette to it. And if everyone follows the rules, there's rarely, if ever, a problem. I mean, people were queuing for well over 24 hours to see the Queen's Coffin lying in state recently. But once you start to throw cars into the mix, it becomes a little less straightforward. Stick roadworks on a, a road, throw up some traffic lights, and cars will queue in a line. Feed people through, say, a check-in line for the Eurotunnel or a ferry, and people will queue. But get a line of cars following the rules on a busy motorway slip road, and you'll always get the guy who thinks it's okay to hair down to the front of the queue in lane one of the motorway and jump in at the last minute to avoid having to wait. We've also all seen the guy who thinks it's okay to use the hard shoulder to shoot past the queue to get to his exit rather than wait along with everyone else. Oh, and here's a clue. If you're listening to this and saying to yourself, well, I'd do that. It's only 500 yards to my exit. Why not use the hard shoulder? What's the problem? Congratulations. You're in the 4%. So back to queuing at chargers. Let's put ourselves in the situation where we've got four chargers and five cars wanting to use them. So far, there isn't a single charge point operator who has defined an appropriate queuing system for their locations, which means that car number five in that scenario is going to have to find a parking space and wait. That's fine. As soon as one of the charges frees up, that fifth car can use it. But what happens if a sixth car turns up and parks? And a seventh? Do they realise there are cars waiting? And what happens if one of the cars finishes their charge and moves off, but the unit they've just left only has CCS connectors and the fifth car in line is a Nissan Leaf waiting for Chadamo? How does that work? There are numerous situations like that, and I'm not here to discuss solutions. I'm here to discuss consequences. Because if we look at each of the scenarios I've illustrated over the previous few minutes, we will have situations where someone in that 4% is going to cause an issue. If you're a sociopath blocking the charger and someone calls you out on it, you're going to react, often negatively. If you're a sociopath annoyed that someone has blocked a charger, you might want to try and remove their charger, maybe even damaging their vehicle in the process. If you're the sociopath who believes it's your right to charge up to 100%, you're going to annoy people waiting to charge, especially on a free charger. And if you're the sociopath waiting to charge and someone's hanging around because they need 100%, you're going to react, often negatively. If you're the sociopath waiting for a charge and you're third in the queue, but the charger nearest to you opens up, you're going to jump the queue and get in there. If you're the sociopath who sees there are people queuing to charge, you're probably going to charge as long as possible just to cause resentment. So let's take this to its logical conclusion. You've got situations where some sort of negative behaviour is being exhibited. Either the person exhibiting that negative behaviour or the person impacted by that negative behaviour is going to react. And that's when you get charger rage. I mean, we already get this at petrol stations. When the recent fuel shortages caused queues for petrol, we saw people trying to jump the queue, as well as filling plastic bags, of all things, to get as much fuel as they could. This reduced the amount of fuel for everyone else and caused incidents across the country. So why should charging be any different? To my knowledge, we've not had any major incidents of charger rage yet. But with the increase in EVs, the lack of formal etiquette training, and the 4% of the population who believe the rules 
don't always apply to them, it's only a matter of time. The unfortunate thing is that this isn't something that can be removed by radically increasing the infrastructure. All this will do is reduce it. But even then, we'll get circumstances of people trying to charge at home, running cables across pavements, parking EVs on curbs, etc. All this is poor behaviour that will incite incidents. I even saw a photo recently of an EV owner who had run a cable horizontally from his rear side mounted charge port three feet from the floor, directly across the pavement at waist height, wrapping it around a nearby lamppost and over the fence into his house. That cable acted like a clothesline stretched across across the pavement, ready to take out any unsuspecting child on a pushbike. So how do we stop this? Well, one way is by better education. If people understand the impact of leaving vehicles blocking charges, it becomes easier to ask them to move. If people understand the issue with charging past, say, the notional 80% on a rapid, they can relocate to an AC charger or just head off on their way and charge a little bit later on when their state of charge has dropped and the charge speed increases. If people understand the queuing etiquette, it becomes easier to see that there are cars waiting to charge and the queuing will work far better. The CPOs can also help. I've been in discussions with lots of charge point operators recently and I've asked them various questions about things such as making charges default to 80% maximum charge with the option to override, of course. They've all agreed that this is possible and is causing them an issue, although not all of them agreed that the solution is an 80% default. But that's a discussion for another podcast. Overstay fees and other incentives for stopping charge blocking are also under discussion. But one thing that is going to help is an initiative from a former guest of the podcast, Kate Tyrrell. You remember from episode 119 that Kate is looking to improve safety and accessibility around charge points. She's doing this by performing a 144-point inspection of each unit around the country. Full disclosure, I'm currently assisting Kate on a pilot project she's doing in Oxfordshire for this. I've seen the full inspection question set, and I know that there are several questions in there that relate to items such as CCTV. If charge point operators and landlords implement CCTV around the charger and the nearby area, it makes it easier to identify anyone engaging in this sort of antisocial behaviour and provide that information to the relevant authorities. So, in summary... We've yet to see a full-scale charger rage incident, but unfortunately, I am confident that this will happen before too long. The nature of human behaviour, coupled with the increase in electric vehicles and the infrastructure trying hard to keep pace, it makes some sort of incident inevitable. It might be late one Friday evening with a stressed driver trying to get home after a long week at work, running low on charge, finding an available charger blocked by a thoughtless delivery van driver who's at 100% but he's nowhere to be found having walked home and left his van on charge. It might be a busy bank holiday Monday where the grid surf charges at rugby are all being used and someone's waiting in the nearby parking spaces for a space to free up when an opportunist driver nips into a newly freed up space, starts charging, thereby jumping the queue. Or it might be the lone working charger in the town with two or three people waiting to charge and the driver sitting in his big battery EV on his phone while the state of charge hits 96% and those drivers waiting have finally had enough of it and take matters into their own hands. But it will happen. In the meantime, let's keep our fingers crossed that the underlying reasons why this can happen are removed or minimised as much as possible. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. 7,000 Puerto Rico homes will soon be part of a virtual power plant. Five years ago, after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, 
and knocked out much of the island's electric grid for months, thousands of people started installing solar panels and battery storage in their homes. This meant that in September when Hurricane Fiona struck, they had power when the grid went down again. They also have power during the island's frequent blackouts, which happen even when there isn't a storm. Now 7,000 homes across the island with solar power and batteries will soon become part of a new 17 megawatt virtual power plant. Software managed by the solar power supplier Sunrun will allow the home batteries to form a virtual power plant to help lower the peaks of energy needed across the island. For a country with an unreliable power grid and one which has needed oil and gas that has spiked due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, this is helping the island cut down on its bills and become less reliant on external power sources, which is absolutely brilliant. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusing at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've got Renewable, is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingTV with the words almost one in 25, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he recently joined a self-help group, a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for people spending lots of money on electric unicycles and things like that. Turns out he's not alone. But there is a faction in the group, it seems, who will go to quite extreme lengths to get the latest ride-on piece of kit. He said, it's a concern, but we shouldn't blow it all out of proportion. Now, that doesn't mean that one in 25 of us is a serial killer or will scam you and empty your bank account at any opportunity. Thanks for listening. Bye.